Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all of its resources for free. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. All right. Let's get started this morning. We're going to be inside of Mark 10, um, and we're going to be going from 35 to verse 45. This is going to be kind of the bulk of our text we're going to spend our time in today. Um, if, you're, if this is your first time here, you'll see that we have our graphic up there. It says the plug. You'll see in white that it says thug, the thug plug. It's actually just the plug, but we brought out the words thug in it. One of the reasons we did it, we even in this series, the reason that we pushed on it, hit the clock for me, fellas. The reason we pushed on this concept is because um, if you've never heard the term, the plug is like the connection. Like, you know, if you have a hookup on, you know, ladies, you might be like, girl, I got a Dooney and Burke plug. You know what I'm saying? They're $600. They can get me a Louis Vuitton for 35 I don't know. You know what I'm saying? If you are getting that, I want to know about it, but I do want to tell you that bootleg. But anyway, so, but that would be your plug, right? But when we look at the gospel and we think about Jesus Christ, Jesus serves as the plug to God, right? The word of God says, if you say that you have seen the Father and you have not seen the Son, then you have not seen the Father. But if you say that you've seen the Son, then you have seen the Father. In other words, if God has illuminated who Jesus is and his sacrifice to you, he is showing you himself through his Son, right? So hence the plug, right? And then we pushed on the thug concept because we were making, uh, not light, but we were bringing to light the idea that Jesus flips systems upside down. What we think is normalcy in the world, and we've kind of just adjusted to some things and they become normal to us. There's a lot of things that when you look in the Bible, you're like, man, Jesus actually wouldn't be okay with some of our normals. And what he calls kingdom, a kingdom way to do it, it's not what it's like what the world calls okay, right? And so in the scripture today, you're going to see him, for the sake of words, spit some kingdom game to James and John, all right? And so we're going to go into that. I'm going to read this to you, um, verse 35 through 45. It says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I will drink, you will drink. And when the baptism with which, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, the other disciples, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to them and said to them, you know, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's our text today, right? So I'm going to pick a, I'm going to pick a bone in this text, right? Because 
I believe that Jesus is actually picking a bone that keeps coming up like a, an annoyance that keeps coming up with him and the disciples, right? When I think about the church today, right, I think any, many of us, many of y'all will agree with this. I think that we see a overwhelming amount of consumerism with the church. Would y'all agree with that? Would you agree with that? Think through it for a minute. Like people, we shop all the time, right? We kind of vet churches based on what, what you got for me. You get where I'm coming from? Like we become consumers in that sense. Um, in a lot of ways, it's like led us into a very much the seeker friendly thing or whatever, which I don't think is bad for churches to be mindful and caring about those they're called to minister to and being seeker friendly towards them. But at some senses, we've actually just have become just, you know, ran by the consumeristic mindset, right? And when we look in this text today, what you're going to see with James and John, what I want you looking out for these, I want you to think through the word consumerism. I want you to think through the idea of misled ambition and a lack of contentment, right? Because I think that this is going to be exemplified in their words when I start to extract it. You know, in the church today, there is, we often show up and we have ambitions and it seems like the church is just like the stage to kind of play these things out. And I think that in the church, we're also plagued by a lack of contentment, right? Which makes us so ambitious, right? We, we, we're like, man, like I have this hole and I want to actually fulfill it. So we end up with this kind of misled ambition where we're kind of chasing this thing or whatever and we're not really, really content. And it's always this thing where it's like in the body, it's like, man, this is cool, but what else is there and like where's this actually driving us to so what i'm praying to actually be able to show you in the scripture is give you this sense of contentment where you're like dag i am exactly where i'm supposed to be and and i'm functioning right in the place that the lord has called me to function right and i don't think it's hard for us to get there i think it's a matter of a heart a heart um a, your heart grabbing onto the truth that we're going to see in this scripture so y'all with me all right Glad I didn't put you to sleep with that 20-minute introduction or whatever right there. So verse 35 and verse 37. So James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come to him and they said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand, in your glory. First of all, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. How many of y'all have kids in here? Throw your hands in there real quick. Has your kids ever rolled up on you and been like, yo, I got a question, but I actually need you to say yes to whatever I'm about to ask you. Anybody's kids ever hit them with that? My kids have hit me with that. I already know they slimy straight off the bat. I'm like, nah, Jack, you ain't catching me in this one. They just hit Jesus with one of those, right? They're ambitious. They, 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 they're plotting and they're, they, they, they're plotting, all right? They roll up, you know, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. They try to turn him into a magic genie real quick, right? And so this isn't the first time that Jesus has seen this conversation that I just read to you play out, right? He's this whole thing where it's like, you know, so they come to Jesus. They say, we want you to do whatever we want, want, want you to do. And they say, hey, we want to we wanna rule with you and like one be on the left side of your throne, the other one. So they're playing power games. Their ambition is misled. They want to be like, like they're trying to get ahead of the line. Like, yo, let's hurry up and catch them in the corner. Like, yo, look, when you come into your glory, 
those cats are cool back there. The other 10, they cool. You know Judas is, but anyway, we'll talk about him later. But set us up. Set us up, Lord, left and right. You see how we move? The rest of them sleeping. We are praying with you, right? So they're trying to play. They, they're trying to get their thing on, right? Trying to make sure they're good to go. And, and it's not the first time Jesus has had this conversation. What's amazing to me is how patient he's being in this text. Because if you look inside of Luke 22, I'm not going to take you there, but the disciples are fussing over who is actually going to be the greatest. This is a normal conversation that they keep on having. They're having ongoing heart issues amongst themselves that's rooted in this misled ambition, right? They're with Jesus, but they're, they're consuming, right? They're consumers. The way we, we saw it with Peter, it's this thing that's going on where they're like, yo, this guy is the guy. And when he gets on, we're going to be standing next to him. So if he's on, we're on. You get what I'm saying? You know how you see rappers? You always see the whole entourage, right? You know what I'm saying? They're like, what do you do? Like, yo, man, I'm the Tic Tac man. <laughs> whatever, you know what I'm saying? You know, I make sure, whatever. When he gets on the red carpet, I Tic Tac. True indeed. Good to meet you. What's your name? Tic Tac. That's what they call me. All right, cool then. All right, I get it. But they're like, they're kind of in the same vein where they're like, yo, we rolling with the king. He's the king of kings, so we're going to be kings. You get where I'm coming from? Consumers. They, they're not getting it. They don't see the big picture. And Jesus is going to be patient. He's going to walk him into it, right? There's a couple things that's in that question for us to look at. They're attempting to secure their future, right? Because they don't have trust for Jesus, right? They don't trust him. They don't trust him that what Christ has planned for them is better than what they can muster up in their mind. So they're trying to make a way for themselves. You get where I'm coming from? So they're being tripped up by that, right? Any of y'all ever been kind of afraid to kind of ask Jesus what he wants from you? To ask the Lord that? Because you're kind of afraid, like, I, I, I don't know if I'm ready to let go of this thing right here and really put it in your hands and have faith and trust you with it. I'm afraid of what you might respond with. You get where I'm coming from? You ever been there before? I've been there before. I've been there before. That's a part of the sanctification process, right? We, we, we're in this thing because of his goodness, not because of our goodness or whatever. And so I think as Christians, sometimes we feel so dirty and filthy because of that. But here's the thing. The story is not about you being awesome anyway. But like we do have to ask the spirit for power to become weak and let him lead us into those questions, right? Because there's good things on the other side of us, of them because he has nothing but good for us. But they have a distrust. And you can tell by the way that Jesus is actually dealing with them that he is fully aware that they are in the midst of a sanctification process. He is discipling them. They're his disciples, right? He could have crushed them and said, you shysty little scumbags. Always coming in here trying to play me and get things from me. Like, y'all ain't really my friends. But he doesn't do that, right? But they are trying to turn him into a magic genie. How often do we do that, right? Like, how often do we, you know, run around the house or whatever because like an old 401k check showed up or something, you know? And then we hear the organ in our head and it's like, dun 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 Won't he do it? Don't act like you never did it. Like you hit the mill and then a, a, a check show up and you just like, oh my God, I didn't see this coming. I didn't know McDonald's was putting money to the side. Like, you know, you just came up. 
and then we all extra hype or whatever. Consumeristic, right? It's not that it's not praiseworthy, but it's like, who is he to you outside of that, right? And what is he doing with this? Even in our service to Christ, this is so important, church, for you to understand this. Even in our service to Christ, like when we are doing the thing that looks like the right thing, we could still be consumers and be using up Christ Jesus, right? With our ambitions, we can be getting played all the time, even when it sounds really, really good. The, you know, we've, we've went from, we've gone to, you, you have people who are like, even with their theology, we've become so ambitious with even our theology that like we will crush the body because it doesn't, we, we, we have these ambitions for these things that are more about us than about his body. You get where I'm coming from? So even when it comes to knowledge, we'll get very lofty so we can actually look at our neighbor and crush them with it. We see churches separated like that all the time, right? We see people who actually serve, and they're actually doing a whole lot of work and serving people, and, 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 it, and it's very, very beautiful, but it becomes a hard thing because it's like it could actually just be about ambition, right? What Jesus is going to take them to in this text right here is something different than that, right? In uh, Philippians 2, 3, it says this. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Here's a couple signs when you're on the wrong side of the conversation and may need to repent. This is for us to evaluate our heart with, right? When you are in the body, and when I say in the body, I mean in the church, around the people of Christ, when you can only see what's wrong with things. When that's the only thing you can see. When you funnel every decision you make through you versus God, right? So, like, how will this benefit or increase me? That's a problem. That's a problem. When you don't esteem your brothers and sisters in Christ, when it's kind of a nonchalantness for the people who are around you, inside of the body or whatever, your home church or whatever that may be, and it's kind of a, yeah, cool, I know they can come or go. That's... That's not what it is. When people are just a means to get something done, when people are not the, the focal point, Christ is not building a building, he's building the church. And the word of God says that we are the living stones, right? Jesus didn't die on the cross for a building, he died on the cross for us, right? So when it comes to us relationally, it's about this thing between us. It's about us, this thing right here, this vertical thing, and this horizontal thing. Y'all with me? Another sign when you're on the wrong side of this conversation is when you judge the health of the church by a wish list you have. It's just, it's just a consumer mindset. It's not reality, right? That's not real. Many of us believe that our contentment is found in us satisfying our ambitions. And the world tells us that all day. Go do you, do your thing, shake off the haters, you know, anybody who's trying to slow you down. But the word of God shows us that it's found in your connection to Christ and his finished work. That's where we find contentment. When we actually are like, 
it's finished, right? When, and when we say it's finished, when it's like, Jesus, you have, by your blood, you have removed my iniquities, and you have secured my eternity in your goodness and your beautifulness, and I actually get to spend my life actually giving it away, right? I get it. If you don't believe in Christ, you don't believe in eternity, why not? Grab everything you, get, you can right now. Makes sense to me. I would. Paul even says that. He says, he says if the resurrection isn't true, if the promises aren't true, then he says, let's pop, he basically says in the scripture, let's pop bottles till we're about crazy. That's basically what he says in the text. He's like, it makes perfect sense to me. But the, but the thing is, is that it is true. So if it's true, and we call ourselves followers of Christ, then we have to evaluate what that means for the way we live with each other and the way we live right now, right? Let me read verse 38 to you. It says, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink in or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. What you see inside of that text right there is a glimpse of their arrogance and an amazing display of Christ's humility, right? Because they, in their arrogant or ignorant assumption, right? They, 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 they have no idea about their weakness that they have, right? So you ever, you ever, you ever had people kind of, um, like maybe you have a relationship with somebody and then somebody else kind of shows up in there like a third leg in it. And you're walking with this person you love this person, you see their brokenness, but nevertheless, you're in it with them. But then a new person kind of comes up and all they have is kind of criticisms for this person, right? And you're kind of enduring it because you're kind of like, you, you actually don't know what you're talking about. Do you understand what I'm saying? You ever been in a scenario like that? Or somebody comes in, it happens all the time with, 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 with like I've had to endure it inside of the church, right? Where somebody will come up and be like, hey man, look, I have this many degrees in preaching. Man, this is cool. I see this is great. I'm here to serve you. I see some stuff in here. I'm going to whip this thing into shape, man. You don't worry, all right? Just let me know. Text me when you're going to put me on the stage, and I'm going to get everybody popping. And I'm just like, shut up. You don't know these people in the church. And some of them will body slam me if you come in here talking to them like that. You get where I'm coming from? It's just this arrogant thing where you're like, nah. It, you, and, and it might not be a terrible person, but like, in their arrogance, in their blindness, they don't know what they're offending and injuring. They're like an elephant in a china shop. They're breaking everything. You get where I'm coming from? You understand the concept I'm trying to give to you? That's what they're doing right now. In their arrogance, they're like, yo, Jesus, like, yeah, the, yeah, the cup, yeah, we can drink the cup you're going to drink. We can do that. And Jesus being merciful to them, understanding their ignorance and arrogance, he goes, yeah, he goes, you actually will. Because what he's saying is, you actually will die for walking with me. That's what, that's what the future actually looks like for you. That's what he's saying in that moment. They don't have a realization of what he's actually saying yes to in the moment. They probably took it as like, yeah, we can handle it. Cool. It's like, you don't. And he's, he's, entertain, he's, he, he's entertaining them because he loves them. 
and he's moving, he's slowing this conversation down to their speed and not crushing them with the ignorance that they're actually displaying, right? Let me go to verse 42, 44. He says this, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant, and whoever will be first among you must be slave to all. So, real quick, let me catch this up really fast. They come to Jesus. They say, Jesus, listen, look out for us. We want to rule and reign, be on the left side and right side of you. He's like, listen, you don't know what you're asking. They're like, we know what we're asking. We're ready to go through whatever. And then Jesus hits them with what I just read to you. Right? He gives them a quick lesson, and he brings them into the truth. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Listen what he's saying, too. I want you to catch this. He says, among you. He's not painting just this big, broad, whole picture of the entire earth. He is talking about the community of the disciples right there, right? He says, among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. So Jesus takes the system of the world, normalcy, the Gentiles, they have power, they lord it over each other. Because he's, he catches in their heart when they first ask the question, it's about a power move. Lord, we know we can't sit on the throne, hit us on the left and on the right. That's why the other disciples were mad. The last conversation they had in Luke, they were arguing over who's going to be the greatest of us all because all they're worrying about is actually having status and power over each other. You get where I'm coming from? Their heart is crooked and their heart is twisted, so they can't love each other well. And so Jesus just points it out to them. He's like, hey, you know that's how the world gets down, right? You know that the way their whole system is structured is that you get power and then you lord that power over everybody and you make people tap dance up under you and you put pressure on them to make a move. And that's how you maintain your spot at the top. That's how the world does it. Right? So he's like this right here. He got the pyramid right there, the power pyramid. He's like you sit on the top of it and you rule and reign from right there. But Jesus is saying, nah, among you, you're going to be on the bottom of the pyramid. And you're going to be a slave to everybody above you. He's flipping the whole system of the world. As my brother Tony Johnson would say, he's thugging the system. Anyway, all right. In the world, they would call him a thug. You're messing with the money, Lord. You're messing with the power structure. But that's what he does. He's flipping the whole norm right there, right? With my kids, when they argue, that's when I get angry. I hate to see them mistreat each other. That if anything makes me mad and like gets me like that, I snap really quick when they mistreat each other. Because what I'm saying to them is, don't treat your brother or your sister like that that is not what family is. It's not what family is. And Jesus is saying, hey, that whole power pyramid thing, it's not okay among you. That's not what kingdom is. 
He's saying, my kingdom doesn't function like that. So he's quick that he straightens it out. You get, it? You get where I'm coming from? So that's not kingdom. That's how they do it in the world. Among you, you must be a servant. The first among you is going to be a slave to all. It begs a question, right? Who do you consider great among you? When you look in the room, the what, what box do you think in when it comes to power structures and flourishing and growing and prospering? What, what, how do you actually measure that out? How do you quantify that in your life? Do you walk in the church and look around and see people who are actually serving, who come up on Sundays at 8 a.m. and they're actually setting up the building? who are here on Saturdays or whatever, doing worship on Thursday nights, doing worship, setting up, dealing with all type of problems in the building. Do you like ever walk around and think about some people who are actually pretty magnificent by kingdom standards? They're actually exercising and serving their brothers and sisters, right? Right here among us. Process that. Think about it. Who greeted you at the door today? Who watches your kids when you're in service? Where your teens go? Who, who breaks this thing down when it's over? Like, do we esteem what that actually is? Who makes the graphics? Who, who does all that? Who sets up the flags outside? People ask me this, like, I'm saying this to you, and I'm not saying it for the sake of flattery. I'm, I'm talking about conversations I've had already. People, when, when I'm talking about who my heroes are, I talk about y'all in the church. It's the real deal. I talk about y'all in the church because I know some of your stories. I know who's single mom, pushing through, struggling. I know who's fighting through hard marriages, still pushing to love each other, still showing up. I know who's struggling with singleness, still loving the Lord, having a hard time with their kids. I don't get tricked by people's Facebook posts no more. I know real heroes right in this room. Straight up. I know who has people living in their house that nobody knows about, feeding them, taking care of, going through all the trauma that comes with that sometimes, but like being selfish, literally giving themselves away in a way that most people would be like, that's actually foolish. But they just feel compelled by the Lord. They're not processing it through their you filter. They're processing it through, processing through what they believe God is calling them to do. You get where I'm coming from? So just think about that for a minute. Do you have a box like a category for highly esteeming the person sitting next to you, the people that are around you. Like you, 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 have to, you have to really evaluate this as a Christian, right? Because Jesus is not, this is not a suggestion. He's talking about this is the place of contentment that we as Christians are called to live in, right? 
when we talk about some of the problems in the church, it's not that I just want to jab at churches overall. I actually love Christ's church, so I, I, I actually hate things that undermine it, that play into the narrative in the world about a church being so broken and corrupt and everything else, which it actually is because we're broken and jacked up people. But here's the thing. The Word of God tells us how we're supposed to function. And being nonchalant about your brothers and sisters in Christ in the church is no longer church. It's not church. It's something else, right? So it's a shopping store. You're going to consume. But this is painting a picture of the narrative of the, the trajectory of your, your sanctification and the way Christ and the Holy Spirit is discipling us is that we're actually getting up under each other to lift each other up, right? I stole this from my brother Tony or whatever. He said, man, imagine if James and John would have walked up on Jesus and been like, yo, listen, Peter, Matthew, crazy. Homeboy just shined my sandals this morning. Crazy. I was playing ball on these cats earlier or whatever, dunking on them with the stone basketball. I don't know. I'm just playing. But, but just imagine that. Imagine that if that was their heart, if they were like, listen, Lord, I don't know if you got room by the throne. They're not, they're not you, but I'm just saying, they acting like it. Do you got a spot for them? This text would have went completely different. It would have went completely different. Right? Would have went completely different. Like, I was watching something the other day. I was watching this guy, Simon Sinek, and um, he was talking about... Um, He's talking about the Marines. And he's talking about how he went to go visit one of their camps. And, um, and he was, I'm gonna mess this whole thing up, but he was, he was talking about how when you talk to them and you ask them, like, about their commitment, right? He said, it's, it, they're not gonna express to you about, like, necessarily dying for, like, flag and country as the first part of their conversation. What they're gonna say is, I'm dying for the person next to me. And he just talked about this amazing way that the military has been able to perpetuate this thing where there's such this uh, thing from this brotherhood, right? Or sisterhood where it's like, nah, I'm taking that bullet first. No, I'm taking the bullet first. Do you understand where I'm coming from? Like. You have any relationships where like somebody as close to you is your hero? Just think through it. Weigh your heart with it. Or do you only see flaws? Do you only see flaws? Do you only see what's wrong with people? Right? People come to me all the time and they start expressing their annoyances with other people. And when it comes to evaluating leaders in a church perspective, that doesn't fit the mark, right? It's not that I'm naive or people who lead are naive to all the broken around, brokenness around. They probably know it better. But like as a believer, when you're actually coming up under serving mode, you have a different perspective of everybody. You go, they can't get nowhere on time but their car barely works and I can't believe they stay coming, right? You see everything different. I know they're off like this a little bit, but man, they love the Lord. If we could sit down and spend some time and get in the scriptures with this person, 
what God is going to, to do with them. It's like you have this redemptive time clock running all the time, right? And you see Jesus working this thing in this scripture because they are, setting, they, are, they are stepping on all the landmines. All of the grenades are going off for their foolishness, for their arrogance, for their pride, for their selfishness, for their lack of care for their neighbor, for their brother and sister. Everything they're saying is about me, 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 me. And Jesus' whole interaction with them is about where they're going. He are, he are, he, he, he's already like, yeah, you, you are going to drink that cup. You are going to drink that cup. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is, the whole idea of hunting people down and being like, oh man, this person is really, really strong and and they just are perfect. That's usually the first person to slit your throat and hit the rope. A lot of times, God, the people he puts you with and he calls you to are an absolute mess. And God is doing the most in their life while y'all are working through this mess that feels like it's going to tear both of y'all apart. But he's making you weak and driving you back to him. Jesus is doing that with them. They're a mess. He's not, he's not stuck at their flaws. He's looking the way the Lord is taking them, right? He's looking the way he's taking them. He knows that God has given them to his care. When you begin to get free from consumerism and selfish ambition, you begin to move to another space. Verse 43, 44 says this. It says, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever will be great among you, you, you must, a great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Hold that close to your heart. Hold that close to your heart. That is a place where you can be content at. Because I think a lot of times as believers, we're always in this place like, cool, where am I going? And we miss when we've actually arrived. Because we're down washing feet like Jesus called us to do. He shows us in the scripture, he says, I, who, who, who's, who's the boss? He says, I'm the boss and I'm washing feet. And you're my follower, so what do you think you're supposed to do? He keeps giving himself as an example. But that is the place, that is the posture, that is the I have arrived. So if you talk about Christian contentment and stableness, when you are in this place where you are giving yourself away, you've landed in a very significant place in your walk. I know that there's a narrative out there where it's like, I'm going to grow and I'm going to end up on all these Christian platforms or whatever platforms in your workspace or whatever it is, and people are going to actually serve me, and they're going to be like, whoa, when I walk in the room. And we crave that because we're sinners. We all have to contend with it. We all have to contend with it because we have flesh. We are that broken. Leave that, leave that door open that you are that broken because it will slit your throat if you ain't looking for it. When your ego walks in the room, because it can happen in a moment. There's times when I'm preaching a sermon and like, I, I may think I'm killing it and then like, arrogant Jay's like, boy, you killing it, dog. Cuz, keep getting them. Like, walks out like, and I have to just like, bind that up. You may not see it happening. But my flesh is that ugly. I'm just keeping it real with you. It's that, like, I hope you didn't assume me to be that good. I'm just keeping it real with you. You have to keep the door open so when you see it, you're like, yo, you got to hit the road. Right? This belongs to Christ. 
Let me read something to you. This is 1 Corinthians 12. He says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving great honor to the part that lacked it. That there may be no division in the body. But that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Any of y'all ever read that scripture before? Verse 26, that whole, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I just want you to focus on that piece. Because when we talk about if, if you are going to strive as a believer, that would be something to strive for. I'm not talking about striving for your righteousness. I'm talking about responding to the gospel. I'll call you back, dog. I'm just, I'm just playing. It's no anyway. Um, but that would be it. Do we look like that? Are your relationships in the body? Because it keeps pointing, it's talking about the church, the body. That's why, that's why I made this statement earlier. If anything is actually betraying the body of Christ and undermining the church, we could talk about all the things that people say in the world and everything else, but the word of God says, they will know you by how you love each other. But we often don't seem like this right here, right? I'm not saying we're going to land the plane on it perfectly. I'm not telling you that I do. I'm saying that it is the thing that we actually strive for when we're talking about Christ's likeness. And we need to have a box for that. So because we've become way too comfortable with we can just actually show up to church and be consumers and be like, man, that, that was really, really good stuff. I really feel really good hoping to have a great week and press through. Sounds really, really cute and good. And that should be a part of the dynamic of you coming to church is to get fed and get some good stuff. But like... This, we in bad shape if we take this other part out of the picture. If we don't love the people next to us, if they don't start to become our, our, our heroes, right? If we only stuff behind their flaws and we don't see them, let me explain something to you. That person, fist bump the person next to you really quick for me. Just give them a fist bump. That person right there, let me tell you about their value. Let me tell you about their value. God saw fit to actually send his son, Jesus, to be brutally killed, a bloody, bloody, horrific death for that person you just gave a fist bump to. And here's the thing. It's not because their value isn't based off of how awesome they actually are. They actually deserve the death that he had. He stood in their place. Right? I, I get it. Me and you have flesh in our body. And our flesh is so rotten and jacked up that we can't, even, we can't even grasp the statement that I just said. I'm so dead in my flesh. I'm alive in Christ, but I'm dead in my flesh where I can hear that statement and go, mm, Lord, it's so good. But we're talking about eternity, the creator of the whole entire world, 
sending his son to die for the person in the seat next to you. But, but in our flesh, the way we're wired, we're just going to nonchalantly act like that's not a big deal. If God gives us any fruit out of this conversation today, it's going to be because of his goodness, his spirit, right? And it's, it's not going to happen because you go, man, I want to kill it. We're back at square one if you approach this conversation ambitiously. You have to approach it with a broken and contrite heart and going, God, please forgive me. I am nonchalant about the people next to me. I am nonchalant about the people of God and what you, you're doing with the body. All I do is actually see flaws in what's not right and what's not put together and everything else or whatever. Like, God, please forgive me for that. That's, that's, that's how we're going to make strides forward. It's the only way we're going to make strides forward. Christ is married to a trifling bride. Remember that. We're made beautiful by his blood, but it's because he's good. There's no, there's no part in this story where Christ is standing next to us because of how awesome we are. Based on the law of sin and death, he has every right to crush us because of his holy law. He has every right. We're not here because of our goodness. We're here because of his goodness. That's why we waddle in, in, in mercy and grace and talk about his blood, because it's that magnificent. It has actually secured us and saved us and brought us into his marvelous light. But as a bride, even in Ephesians 5, when he talks about the church and he talks about marriage, he says to the husband, he says, he says, he says, you are called to be a part of the sanctification process for your bride. He doesn't assume us to be perfect. We walk in the churches with this naive, we walk in our communities with this naiveness like everything's all good. The Bible doesn't even do that. It doesn't even do that at all, right? So how crazy we are only magnifying the annoyances of the people around us. You show up broken and you're going to find broken people. We're only here celebrating a whole beautiful Jesus who was broken for our, our, our transgressions. Can y'all say amen to that? Amen. Verse 45, and I'm going to land this plane really quick, y'all. says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served. He, he sums up this whole text for them. He's actually doing for them. He's modeling it in the text while he's telling them what to do. And he says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I think I told some of y'all this story before or whatever, but um, I have a cousin named Rusty, old Rusty. And, um, and so years ago, my cousin Rusty got kidnapped and uh, involved in some shady dealings that went the wrong way. Um, I won't get into that, but nevertheless, it was Christmas time. Me and my wife and the kids had to go up to go see him out of town, and Rusty got kidnapped, and my uncle um, had to pay a ransom, $80,000 to get him back. And uh, he paid the ransom, and you know, 
some 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 uh, you know these guys drop Rusty off in the uh, you know in the woods in his birthday suit and uh, anyway y'all catch that later anyway so they drop Rusty off right but my uncle had to pay a ransom Rusty was somebody's captive and the only way they were gonna let him go is if he came with the money not half of it not some of it this is the money we want. Right? Sin and death has had every one of us locked up in a dungeon, headed to an eternal death. And just like the thief on the cross is laying next to Jesus, and by his own admission, he says, He says, I, he says, I deserve this. We deserved what we we deserve to be in this place of hopelessness because of our sin. Our sin is what put us there. It's what put, it, put us there, right? But Jesus gives himself as a ransom for us. Jesus places, Jesus gives himself. His life wasn't taken from him. He gave his life fully aware of what was happening. He goes to the cross for our sins. He's innocent, yet he bears the reproach and the filth that was belonged to us, right? So he takes that and he also takes the penalty of death, the wrath of God actually poured out on Jesus on the cross. It was all our sins that were on the cross. And it's the reason now if you're a believer or if you feel like Christ is calling you right now, tugging on your heart, it's the reason why we are able to go before the Lord boldly, boldly, and know that we're clean, knowing that our sins are washed away. What happens is Jesus got our filthy, disgusting resume. He paid the price for it. And then he gives us a clean slate. He gives us his resume, sparkling, clean, perfect, flawless, flawless. So, that's, so, so when you're moving around your brothers and sisters in the church, that's what the Lord sees. That's what the Lord sees. It's the reason we're able to wake up every morning when Satan starts spitting in our ear like you low-down, dirty dog. We're able to say, like, yeah, I hear you. But the gospel says this. In John 6, when the people say, Lord, what's the work that we must do? He says, the work you must do is believing in the one that was sent. He's saying, the work you do is actually believing that the gospel is true for you. That's how we walk into his light by laying our sins right there and believing that his death on the cross wipes all our sins away. That's where the freedom is at and secures eternity for us. That's what makes us give our life away because he's already paid the ransom, right? Death doesn't hold us anymore. We're not captives anymore. If we're slaves to anything, we're slaves to him, right? Being his servants because of what he's done. And he wants us to take that and he wants us to actually be servants and slaves to our brother and sister taking on the burden, flipping the pyramid up and down and letting it fall like this, giving our life away to see our brothers and sisters grow more and more into his likeness. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you, Father. God, I pray for our church, Father, for everybody's in this room right now. God, I pray that Holy Spirit would begin to arrest our hearts. 
in a way that's beyond us. I pray, Father, Lord, that we would not be nonchalant about your words in Mark 10. I pray that we wouldn't begin to believe a narrative that says we're not like James and John. Pray that we wouldn't close that door, Father Lord. I pray that you would help us to be diligent in holding on to you, Father. God, save us from our ambition, from our conceitedness, from our arrogance. Help us foster a love for each other. Help us to see ourselves and our brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, with, through new eyes. Help us to be able to look up the street and see where you are taking people. Not just where they are, but where you're taking them. Where you're taking us. Save us from the condemnation of only being able to assess our brokenness and waddle in that, Father Lord. But help us believe the gospel is true for ourselves and believe the gospel is true for our brothers and sisters in Christ that we can be on mission and we can be knee deep in this trajectory and this sanctification process. God, help us to love each other. You said people will know that we're yours, Father Lord, because of the way that we actually love each other. Take the spirit of competition out of us. Lord, help us become forgetful and selfless in a way where we want to see the people around us win. We want to see them grow. We want to see them prosper. We want to see them flourish. We want to see their families whole. We want to see them loving you more and more to grow in you, Father Lord. So, God, we just pray that for our church this morning. We pray that for our church, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.